What's up, Daw Nation? My name's Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to episode 48 of Behind the Daw, where we interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, singers, songwriters, and basically everyone else in between on an emotional, philosophical, artistic, and music business basis. This is a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite music producers to come and dissect their songs in real time. Recently, we've had people like AU5, Kiro, Tynan, Culprit, Slumberjack, and a bunch of others, and we are currently working on episodes with Kashmir, Pegboard Nerds, Delta Heavy, biometrics and a bunch of others so if you're interested in any of those there are links down in the description for the youtube series also you can listen to them on this podcast those are the 0.5 episodes the last episode that we did this was episode 47.5 with au5 breaking down his song only in a dream again links in the description and you can just find them on any podcast app so who are we interviewing today today we are interviewing harrison bennett who was the label manager of zed's dead's label Deadbeats. They've had releases with people like 1788L, Fitch, who's been on an episode of In the Daw, Gentleman's Club, Holly, who is scheduled to come on Behind the Daw, Mad Zach, Ricky Son, Rez, Rusco, Sippy, who was on episode 27 of Behind the Daw, Um, who was on episode 28 of Behind the Daw, and of course, Zed's Dead. So, what are you going to learn today? Today, you are going to learn about how to find Spotify playlist curators and how to reach out to them. You're also going to learn about how to have a plan B when a song release doesn't go as planned and what Harrison would do with Zed's Dead if they were brand new to the music scene in 2019. And Daw Nation, we are going to get into all of this and so much more when we get back from thanking our sponsor. Daw Nation, imagine if you could learn extremely innovative sound design from a legend. Imagine five and a half hours of mind-blowing, in-depth videos explaining and exploring every detail on how to get the craziest sounds that no one else is making. Imagine being able to walk away with all the effects racks, instrument racks, and project files that are handcrafted by someone that has producer credits with Monster Cat, BT, Infected Mushroom, Virtual Riot, Elenium, Seven Lions, Ausla, and so many others. Now imagine all of that power being at your fingertips just a few minutes from now. Well, Daw Nation, what I just explained actually exists. The In The Daw team collaborated with AU5, the sound design legend himself, to create the AU5 Ableton Sound Design course. Again, as I mentioned, it includes five and a half hours of videos illustrating the most innovative sound design techniques, plus all the instrument racks, effects racks, project files, and we even included a full walkthrough and breakdown of AU5's newest EP, Energize. Right now, we're running a $50 off sale for this course, but this is a very limited time offer, so I'd hop on it right now the original price is usually $150, but for this limited time, you can get it for $100. But if you're just not quite sure it's what you want, then make sure to check out the free mini AU5 Ableton Sound Design course. This way you can get your feet wet and see the types of sounds that you could be making today. There are links in the description for both the full course and the mini course, or you can go to courses.inthedaw.net to get more information. Again, that is courses.inthedaw.net. But Daw Nation, let's get into this week's interview. Welcome everyone to this week of Behind the Daw. We have Harrison Bennett, who is the label manager of Zed's Dead's label, Deadbeats. Say what's up to Daw Nation, dude, and tell us something extremely embarrassing about yourself. What's up, Daw Nation? In my spare time, aside from 
dealing with the label. I have a very serious addiction to the band Fish, and I've been known to take off for weeks at a time and go to show after show after show and just kind of fully embrace my hippie side. Weeks at a time, huh? <laughs> I've quit jobs before to go on the road. So it's almost like a, a summer camp type thing, and you would, uh, you know, occasionally you make your way back up there, and it feels very familiar and it feels like you didn't leave. Yeah, I'd say like quitting your job and stuff, that's, that's pretty embarrassing. That's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, we're stoked to have you on the show today. You're, I can, I can already tell you're a wealth of knowledge. If if you're that deeply entrenched in the fish culture, you got a lot to offer to our listeners. So, first question that I want to ask you is, if there was one concept that is not focused around music business, but is something related to music, but is something that you feel like you really want to talk about that exists in the music industry, what would that topic be? You know, a major topic that everybody's been surfacing a lot over the last couple of years is mental health across the board with any industry, but music industry in particular, it's something that's surfaced a lot. A lot of high profile death, death, unfortunately, in the music industry in the last couple of years. You see one side of, of people from social media at the shows, but then, you know, there's there's a whole other side to people. And yeah, I think this industry as a whole has the, has the ability to kind of do amazing things, but it's also a grind. It's a real rat race. People taking care of themselves and finding like a healthy you know, work-life balance is is a major, major component of the music industry right now. It's a major discussion point for a lot of people. And have you yourself struggled with mental illness? No, I mean, not that I'm aware of. I think that's kind of the uh, creepy aspect of it is, is, you know, people may not be hyper aware of their own issues. For the most part, I think I'm generally, I'm a pretty basic person, man. Like I've got a very normal life outside of music. I uh, have really tried to make sure I have as much of a balance between my private life and, and my musical career life, I guess, as possible. It definitely really helps that my wife is not really into the music that I that I do for the most part. So it definitely levels me when I go home. So I get I get brought down to zero very, very quick when I, I go home at the end of the day. So I think that's kept me nice and balanced. I have a very hard time separating my career and my, my private life, my marriage life, because like, like there's a perfect example. When I'm in a conversation like this, I talk about my wife all the time and vice versa. When I get done and I go and talk with her, I just want to tell her everything about that day that's music related. So, I mean, is that something that you struggle with as well? I do. Yeah, I mean... I've seen her eyes glaze over before when I start talking about different subgenres of bass music. That's for sure. I mean, I know she's a music nerd in her own right. Like Fish, for example, is like our our major common denominator. Like we will both take off and go see shows all the time and she'll go off on her own. So she understands where I'm coming from when it comes to that almost obsessive nature about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I go home and uh, she sees me working on the computer and yeah, we, we barely ever talk about my music stuff or anything like that. I just don't think she... I like talking about the music with, with people that like the music. It's not as much fun to talk about it with people that just aren't as ad, as into it as uh, as you are. You found that you and your wife have like like you said a common denominator with an obsession with uh, with fish. Even though you guys are in different careers, you have different passions. You feel like that is the thing that kind of brings you together and that holds you together. I mean, it's not necessarily what holds us together. There's probably other other aspects of it, but you know that's an aspect of our lives that like. We've definitely based vacations around it. You know, every New Year's, we always go to a bunch of shows. And during the summer, we always do it. So, yeah, it's it's been something that, you know, we've been able to kind of bond together over music 
in any relationship, it, it definitely plays a, a special part. I think having music as, as part of life and part of a relationship is kind of a critical element. The, re- the reason why I'm kind of honing in on this so much is because the vast majority of the people that listen to this podcast, they are not in a relationship with someone that does music as well. Most of the time, they're, they're like you and I, right? We're they themselves are into music and then they're either married or dating someone who's not. So to be able to kind of not let that be a hindrance, that has always been an intriguing, an intriguing point for me. So yeah, I couldn't imagine actually like dating somebody else that was in the same world as me. Cause I don't think we would ever talk. She has to pull me out of my zone uh, so often that, you know, if I was having to deal with somebody else that was just like me, I'd probably lose it. <laughs> in college, I actually, I was a music major in college and so I was dating another music major. Dude, it felt like a constant game of like Monopoly. Like it just felt like a competition, man. Trying to one up the other on like how esoteric your taste is. Kind of swinging back around to, to mental health. Is there any like certain things that you want to talk about with mental health that you like you want to say to, to, to our listeners? I think the conversations that are going on right now in the music industry are, are super helpful very positive to see people actually kind of addressing this and to see big artists not really worrying about their their clout and being open and honest with this stuff is is a great thing to see and you know notice that a lot more especially the dance music community in the last couple of years people continuing to be comfortable and open and honest about their feelings is going to make everybody you know ultimately put them in a better place and kind of keep this this fun thing that everybody's got going on, keep it continuing a little bit longer. So you mentioned that you yourself have not struggled with mental health, but is there someone that you've worked with or someone close to you that has? Everybody's got their issues. Everybody's got their ups and downs. I mean, I, I'm certainly not perfect. We all have our own like ways of coping with stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's you it, it kind of recognize it across the board, like, you know, especially with artists that they might be hot for a minute and then you know, they're not as hot as they, they were. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely comes up in conversations, especially with people that are touring very readily. Being on the road is, is pretty lonely for the most part. And that's a conversation that comes up a lot, especially with people right after they've done their first tours. So let's let's say it's a situation, you know, like where let's say a person that is listening to this podcast does not struggle with mental health, but they do have someone in their life that they're talking to, or that's a friend, or whatever that is. I mean, what advice would you give to them, to the person that's not struggling, to help the person that is struggling? I mean, just make yourself available. Just make yourself out there and, and ready to talk, and let the person know that you know you're there for them, and that there there are outlets to get help, and there, there's outlets to kind of talk through it. You know, find yourself in a, in a better place because you know, at the end of the day, like especially in the music industry, like the only reason to be in this is because you get enjoyment and fun out of it. You know, if you're struggling to do that, you should take some time to yourself and find what it is that's going to inspire you and keep you positive. I agree. I feel like, you know, in any career and any passion and any anything of that of that nature, I do feel like there are ups and downs, but for the most part, like if if 80% of the time you're not enjoying it, you're not having fun, things aren't going like in a in a really beneficial way. Something's wrong. You know what yeah, I mean? you should be working in a different job. And even if you're working in a job you love and you, and again, not 80% of the time you're enjoying it, you know, something, something needs to change, you know, whether that is, you know, you need to go get professional help, you need someone to talk to, you need to get on medication, you know, like whatever it is, the people that are listening to this, I give you full permission to examine your lives. And if 80% of your time is not completely enjoyed, something's up. I, I would highly encourage you to, to look more into that. Could you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the life is about the ups and downs on everything. It's, you know, you're only really going to enjoy the ups if you kind of went through the down too. But being able to kind of recognize that 
certain feelings are temporary, certain situations are temporary, and that you can you kind of have the power to pull yourself out of them. Super helpful, super powerful. Most of the people that are going to be listening to this, their dreams to be the the mega star producer, DJ, whatnot. There are going to be people that are that are interested in the things that you're interested in, where they like they love music, they they want to get in the industry, but they don't want to do the DJ producer style thing. I mean, what is that kind of life like? I mean, is it enjoyable? Is it fun? Is it boring? I mean, what what is that life like? I mean, honestly, like when I started DJing, I I had no concept of like the music industry. I didn't know what an agent was. I didn't know what a manager was. I didn't know publishing. You know, it would have been great if I did. I probably would have taken some different classes in university. But the business side of, of things, I find it super intriguing and super rewarding. It's really cool to kind of see the back end aspect of, of what goes on behind the scenes to make, you know, a release happen, to make a, a festival happen, to launch a new artist or project. Like from just like a reader or listener standpoint, almost kind of take this stuff for granted because there's so much music coming out on a day-to-day basis that, you know, you're just like, oh, well, like, why isn't this track out yet? Why isn't that out yet? And uh, there really is a lot, a lot behind the scenes that goes on and kind of learning to navigate that and, and finding out what your strengths might be and what would keep you interested has been a very interesting journey for sure. So like concerning, you know, your position at Deadbeats as a label manager, what is something that goes on behind the scenes that you really, really enjoy that you're like, this is that uh, this makes it worth it? I love coming up with, uh, well, I mean, there's the A&R aspect of like just getting to hear music before anybody else and, and getting to basically hear what some of my favorite artists in the world are working on six months to a year before we ever put it out. One aspect that I really enjoy. The other side is really, really like the ideas of sitting down and coming up with marketing plans for how we're going to roll out different releases or announce them. Yeah, it's, it's you get to be a bit creative on that front. And that's that's always super exciting to me. So what is something with your job, with being the label manager that you just that you hate. It just sucks. You, you never uh, want to do it again. Ac- accounting is like the worst. <laughs> this sucks, dude. This is terrible. <laughs> Trying to process royalty statements and all that, which, you know, is necessary because so it keeps the lights on and so it keeps everybody happy. But it is so tedious. It's, it's a little mind numbing. I, I never realized like how much I would, how much time I would end up spending using Excel different accounting software. So that, that's a little mind numbing. Minus the, the tedious work, the most, I wouldn't say it's the hardest, but kind of the thing that sucks the most about being the label manager. What has been one of the hardest things that you've had to do as a label manager, but you've had to do it because you were the label manager? It's a good question. Sorry, I'm just at a grocery store. Um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's probably like when you have a release that's coming out that you put all this time and effort in sat around and done the planning and you've been talking with the managers and the artists and really trying to tee everything up so that it works so that it works perfectly the release day is doesn't necessarily go exactly how you expect it that's always tough and that that's something that you know kind of learn to to work with since i've started part of it's about setting expectations other parts of it about kind of like making sure that you have backup ways of, of making sure that music gets heard. But I'd say that's probably the, the most difficult and challenging part. The other side would be doing multiple shows in a row and having to sleep on an airplane. And that's the only sleep you get for three or four days. That's also equally brutal. In the context of you put out a song, but it didn't go as as you planned it. Can you give me an example, not necessarily naming someone, but can you give me an example of what that would look like? With the way everything happens in terms of like getting music out there. So obviously it starts with 
you have your, your master track and you've set a release date and you want to get it in. Generally, like we have to, there's a lead time of like three to four weeks to get it into the system and make sure it gets pitched out to Apple and Spotify correctly. So you would make sure everything's like submitted into your distributor and that the music is going out there, that it's been tagged and titled properly and all that fun stuff. And then you kind of sit down and start doing the marketing plans and build that out. So how are we going to announce this? How are we going to get it out there? How are we going to get fans excited about this? And how are we going to continue the promotion after it's out? On that release day, as, you, as you're probably aware, you know, everybody kind of aims for the Fridays. Spotify does its new music Friday splashes and there's all these giant playlist ads and there's also tracks getting featured on like the new release sliders and all that stuff which is basically the modern equivalent of having your poster in the window of a of a cd store in the perfect world you hit everything that you wanted but most of the time nothing happens and you know there's 40,000 something songs that are being uploaded to spotify and apple music every single day really easy to get lost in the shuffle and really hard to kind of stand out if you're putting all your eggs into one basket and hoping that just one spotify editor is going to take control of your destiny and, and make your track a hit then you know you're in for a world of hurt Dawn nation there is so much more to come in this interview and we're going to keep soaking up all this wisdom when we get back from thanking our sponsors Daw Nation, as you're aware, this episode is sponsored by the AU5 Ableton Sound Design course. But one of the questions that keeps coming up is, I don't use Ableton, but I love AU5. Is this course for me? Or a similar question is, I have Ableton, but I don't have Ableton Suite. Will this course still be worth it? To both of those questions, my answer is an absolute unwavering yes. This course is worth it and it is for you. And here's why. At the beginning of the course, I explained that if you simply watch all of the videos and download all of the racks and download all the project files, you would have already found more than enough value to decide if the course was worth it or not. But if you only did those things, you would have missed the entire concept of the course. The entire purpose of this course is not to see how AU5 makes crazy sounds, though you will learn how to do that. It is not to get a bunch of effects racks, instrument racks, and project files that you can use and tweak to your own liking, even though you will get all of those things. The entire purpose of this course is to help elevate your sound design creativity. It is to get you thinking about different processes, about how to innovate current ideas that you have so that you can create absolutely insane sounds with minimal resources. These techniques, concepts, and processes are not confined to a certain dollar software. They can be easily translated to any platform, and most importantly, it can help inspire you regardless of software, regardless of resources, and regardless of experience. The only reason why this course was filmed in Ableton is because AU5 and I just know and love the software. That's it. It doesn't matter if you use FL Studio, Logic Pro X, Cubase, Reason Pro Tools, Bitwig, Reaper, Studio One, or any other DAW for that matter. The original price of this course is $150, but right now we have a launch sale going on where you can get the full course for only $100. This sale is a limited time offer, so I would hop on this sale of a deal immediately. So Donation, if you are ready to take your sound design skills to the next level, head on over to courses.inthedaw.net. That is courses.inthedaw.net. There's also links in the description of this episode, but let's get back into this interview. Feel free not to answer this, but also feel free to answer this. In in that context, you know, like let's say, you know, you put out a song under the label and there's it, it, it's just crickets. It's just crickets on Spotify. What is kind of the, the backup plan? What's the plan of attack to to handle that? You know, Deadbeats as a whole, we don't necessarily put out the most mainstream of music and certainly not the most mainstream of dance music. We've really tried to 
set ourselves out as forward-thinking electronic label. We want to be kind of ahead of ahead of the curve in terms of like the styles and trends of, of music that's coming out. But more importantly, we just really want to back stuff that we genuinely enjoy. And I get really excited about hearing music that I've never heard before. So with that said, you know, I kind of know going into a lot of this stuff that it's not going to get picked up. By these editorial playlists. The alternative there is kind of making your own way. The YouTube channels are a really great example of this. You know, if you think of Trap Nation or Proximity or Cloud Kid, all those YouTube channels kind of started up as a response to the fact that the music these kids were into was not necessarily getting played in, you know, really accessible areas. It wasn't getting playlisted to like the masses and it really wasn't being promoted on radio. Finding these alternative independent channels that are going to champion your music and your artists and they're way more willing to take a take a kind of leap of faith on on certain tracks. That's kind of the real plan. Like that's the that's the bread and butter for like electronic music in general and I think it's it's works across the board for all artists, rappers in general like you know, they've been really going to, to SoundCloud lately because that's a, a great medium to get their music heard and they don't have to fight against like the typical that you would have to deal with in the industry. You know, on the dance music side, I think a lot of artists have done a really good job of building up their own little independent playlists and their own little independent networks on these on these platforms. To me, that's like the real kind of like crux of like making sure the music gets heard because you can guarantee that the, those are more engaged listeners. This is a question I've been asked multiple times. And to this day, I only have like a semi good answer to it, which is basically how does one get on Spotify playlists? And literally the only answer that I can give them is number one, to sign up for something like chart metric or spot on track to get a little bit of information about the playlist that you want to get on or two, go to submit hub. That's really like all I got. I mean, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, I mean, it, so like, are you trying to get out, like you talking about uh, like the official Spotify list or just like any playlist in general on Spotify? Any playlist in general, any playlist that have clout, at least a little bit of weight. You know, it doesn't have to be an official Spotify playlist. It could be anything. You know, chart metric, amazing. We've been using that since it came out and it's such an invaluable tool. Um, in terms of tracking to see where things are going and just an education point for learning what's out there and what tracks are kind of similar to yours and how those are performing and what playlists, you know, might might be beneficial for the track and everything. So that's a great starting off point. Submit Hub is a little bit more uh, of an issue with. I, I think there's a fair number of people on there that just collect the money and just say no to stuff. So I don't I don't necessarily agree with their business model that much. Reaching out, finding who the people are that are running these playlists, which is admittedly a little bit tough sometimes, but reaching out to them, having something else to offer them, which would be, is your artist playing a show in their area that you can give them guest lists to? Do you have a playlist that like you guys could have reciprocal trades on? Like that kind of stuff and leveraging that. But honestly, like if you, if you reach out to these artists and, or these, if you find the playlist owner, and you're able to go with go to them with like a little bit of data and say like you know what like I noticed your playlist is doing really well in in this market or with this demographic and and our songs historically have done well in that demographic or you know they work along the same kind of artists that you have in your playlist just put it in there for a week and see how it does if it if it tanks it tanks and then, then great but yeah I mean that's that's kind of the move you know Spotify's gotten really good in the last 
couple months with their submission tool of allowing, you know, everybody to kind of submit their tracks directly in there. And as long as you're getting it in there a week to 10 days before it's actually released, you have a significantly better chance of it getting surfaced to Spotify editors and getting an official editorial playlist. But beyond that, on both Spotify and Apple, they have like a heavy reliance on these algorithmic playlists. They're basically like surfacing tracks to listeners based on that listener's past listening history. You know, on Spotify, you have that submission tool. And if you submit it in advance, then you're guaranteed that it's going to land on release radar and discover weekly. And so release radar hits all of your, all of the followers of that particular artist. And then uh, discover weekly is more like, okay, you like this track. Maybe you'll like this one too. You know, we've noticed a big uptick in plays coming from these algorithmic playlists versus more editorially curated playlists. And that's, I think that's partially because the kind of music we put out, but I think it's also like with a lot of these artists, we've been playing that game with Spotify for a while where we've, you know, helped to try to boost their profile on Spotify by running pre-save campaigns, building up their own playlist on their artist profile page and just doing anything we can to kind of make enough noise that it's hard to ignore for that platform. Let's swing back around to, to like the curated playlist, right? Let's say it's a playlist that isn't algorithmic and it is, it is someone that doesn't work for Spotify, but they are creating playlists. And let's say, I like to call them micro influencers, right? Let's say that you use Chartmetric to find out, hey, there's this, this playlist has 20,000 uh, followers a month of listeners or whatever on there cool let's let's get in contact with that person Th- this is where the gap is for me how do you get in contact with that person how do you find information for that person yeah i mean it's hard like you have to be a real sneaky on the internet to kind of find that stuff i've like back searched usernames and tried to find them on other platforms and see if they have email addresses listed on there if i notice that it's like a playlisting company which there are a couple of on on spotify in particular and on apple like sound drop or filter or something like that I'll go to the actual website page and there's this Chrome extension. I can't believe I'm giving you all my tips, but anyways, there's this Chrome extension that will basically scour the page for like any email addresses that might be associated with that domain. Can't remember the name of the extension right now. That's been super helpful. Just like, you know, being as creepy as possible and like trying to find these people on every single platform, it goes a long way. Most of the time, they're never going to respond to you. Sometimes I've had people respond to me and like ask for $25 to get a track playlist. And it's all about playing that game. But for whatever reason, on all those platforms, they've made it kind of hard to actually find out who these independent playlisters are. You just got to be sneaky. You got to find it any way you can. That's that's kind of what I was thinking. I was really hoping that there was going to be... It's crazy that we're in 2019 and we still haven't seen you know someone that says, hey, here's this website. I mean, I guess, I guess Submit Hub kind of does that. Like... I, I think uh, about a year ago or so, I remember getting an email from somebody and they were, they had, they were selling a directory of email addresses of Spotify playlisters. I was like, well, I'll spend 50 bucks on this. Like who cares? And I did it. And my, my email address was on there. I don't think any of this stuff is legit, but it's, you know, you can, you can definitely find it and pay for it out there. But I don't think we, I don't think it was a helpful list by any means. I would recommend buying it. Kind of switching gears a little bit. I want to more so talk about you and the label on the label side. So a lot of people, you know, a lot of newcomers, we got a lot of newcomers listening in on the podcast. You know, they just, they just barely went and saw Zed's dead or excision or um, or whoever. And they're like, yeah, let's, let's, 
get a version of Ableton and like, let's start making music and putting it out, you know, now, I guess to them, to these, to these new people, if you could explain to them, like, how are labels still relevant and still useful in this day and age? That is a really good question. There's been like this great democratization of music distribution, you know, first through SoundCloud, anybody could put up whatever track they wanted to. And now through Spotify and Apple, where you can just distribute to them directly through something like Stem or TuneCore. And so, you know, this question of what's the value in a record label comes up a lot. You know, I think for Deadbeats in particular, it's a little bit more clear and apparent where, you know, you have the co-association and basically the, the stamp of approval from Zed's Dead the label and the other artists that are on the label. A label really needs to have a value add for artists to sign with them. I think for us, our big value add right now is that we have an an event side of the label where we do all these Deadbeats events in venues that are like 3,000 to 10,000 people. We do about 20 to 25 a year. And it gives a lot of these younger artists a great opportunity to get in front of audiences that they, they probably wouldn't have otherwise. ZZ's audience in particular is super eager to hear new music. They're kind of always down to explore and, and they're real fans. They're not just people that are, you know, sitting back and listening to a Spotify playlist. These are kids that are going out and buying tickets to shows, buying merch. Uh, they're doing everything, right? And so getting artists in front of those type of fans is, is I think, super valuable and, and super useful. In general, the value add that a label kind of brings to the table is obviously industry connections, but also kind of helping artists get their feet on the ground. You know, a lot of people are, you can produce in your bedroom now, you can write an entire record in your bedroom now, but, uh, you know, getting on the road is really expensive. A lot of people lose money on their first tour. And so major labels, they offer, some of them offer kind of aggressive deals where they're going to take some of your, your touring capital. It's like a 360 deal or some of your touring revenue, but they, you know, they've, they've kind of like gone out of the way to help fund some of this. So depending on the artist and depending on what they're looking to do with their career, I mean, I think, I think labels still definitely have their, their place in the industry. It's definitely shrunk in terms of how useful they are for certain people for, yeah, I can really only speak on behalf of deadbeats and, you know, the fact that we have kind of like larger artists that are going to support the acts that are on there and uh, these events to introduce uh, these artists to a large audience, that's that's the real value in, in what our label brings in particular. I agree. That is kind of my my assumption of what that would be is kind of we don't like to use this term inside the music industry. It's it's used in basically every other industry, but it's a uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. When you're releasing through a re- re- on a label, you're basically you're you're standing on their shoulders, right? You're 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 famous by association in a way, leveraging their their clout. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, like, like I mentioned earlier, like there's 40,000 tracks being uploaded every day. You know, for better or worse, these major labels and the major distributors still have weekly meetings with Apple and Spotify and Amazon and, and all these different platforms. So, you know, they're guaranteed to be getting in there and in those people's faces. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, their, that's their real value add to it. If that's, if that's what the artist wants, then like by all means, then, then that should be your journey. But, you know, if the artist is kind of has like a really solid team and marketing idea and branding around it and has a really kind of cool go to market strategy around their music and, and, you know, the project, then 
And I think you're totally fine to go independent. A lot of artists have really kind of shown that you can do it independent. Although I would caution people in thinking that, you know, some of these independent projects don't have major money behind them. On the concept of that, you know, like let's say that we have someone who is interested in deadbeats. They feel like they make the type of music that would be good for deadbeats. So in that kind of instance, would you recommend that artist reach out to you or you, or should the artist wait for you to reach out to them? That's a good question. I I love getting new music sent to me. Like it's, it's probably it's the best part about this job. The fact that people are gonna like trust me enough to just send me music if they haven't sent anybody else. I would suggest that. I mean go out there, do it. I wouldn't get hung up and and let uh you know, a label kind of like ruin your schedule and your plans because speaking for myself, I get like hundreds of submissions every single week. So it's really hard to actually go through everything and and give it the the listening and attention it deserves. And that's on top of all the other like artists that we've already worked with um, sending me new demos and music. Yeah. I mean, kind of go out there and do it on your own. I'll tell you like what really piques our interest is when we hear something that we haven't heard before, like a, you know, a new style or new tones and stuff like that, even more so than looking at like social numbers and everything like that, I could, I could care less about somebody's social media numbers. I'd like to see that, you know, if you've got a thousand fans on Facebook and 200 people are liking every single thing you post to me, that's infinitely more exciting than somebody with like 200,000 fans that gets like 30 clicks. Not necessarily like the size of the artist that really matters. It's it's really just the sound. And you know, I would I would suggest like reaching out, going to, you know, hitting up labels, hit up deadbeats, hit up other labels with your music, but don't just send one track and be like, Hey, I made this. What do you think? Kind of go places with with a project or an idea. Explain who you are, explain what you want to be accomplishing, like what the ultimate vision is of this, because I think that is a uh, that's a key component that gets lost in a lot of pitches. What is it more than just this song? Can you give us a, a concrete example of that so that we can see exactly what you're talking about? Like 1788L is an is a example of an artist that, you know, we were talking uh, with him for a while before we ever did a release with him. It was, you know, we were just kind of slowly trying to introduce it to the world and Finally, when I like had a chance to like sit down and, and talk with him, it became really apparent, especially he was like, oh, we want to do this EP. Here's the idea behind it. And there was a full like storyboard and concept behind this project, which, you know, is, is, was kind of rare, especially at the time for like what I was seeing. To me, that was super exciting. It made it really easy for us to get behind it. And it made it really easy for us to kind of pitch it out to, you know, Spotify and Apple Music and make them get behind it as well. This this is a question that has been asked a ton and I, I still don't have a good answer. So what is the best way that an artist can create a relationship with a label that is not like annoying or desperate or pushy? And then how does one maintain that relationship? I get asked this a lot. And I think it's partially because I'm sometimes really slow to answer emails. And I have people that keep bumping things up with me and they're like, am I annoying you? I don't want to do this. For me, it's it's fine because that's just the way I kind of keep my inbox is if it's unread, I know it's a to-do list. So somebody keeps bumping it up again. It doesn't, doesn't really bother me that much. But, you know, I would... The one thing I would I would uh, caution people on doing is if you send somebody a track and they're like, 
eh, I'm not quite sure if this is a fit. Like, send me more stuff. Like, when when you've got it, don't just start ramming stuff back down their throat. Like, and start sending them. What about this one? What about this one? What about this one? What about this one? Because at that point, it becomes a you really just want anything to stick on here, and you don't necessarily have a cohesive idea. So, like, how you want to be moving forward, and that's you know, to me, that's the most appealing part of of an artist that like has you know, kind of like a clear path that they want to execute. And that's something that we can, we can help with. I just, I don't think we're as, as good at just kind of working one-off random singles. That makes sense, dude. So I got, I got one final question for you and we're going to, we're going to put our thinking hats on. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to really, I'm going to really, really, really push you with this one. Okay. So let's say in this scenario that you are over all of their management, like over everything. Okay. Let's say that, you know, it's within the early years of Zed's dead and, but, but, but it's in this day and age, it's in the streaming age. It's, it's, it's 2019. And so let's say that, you know, you guys, you and Zed's dead, you know, you reach out to another label, right. And, and they turn you down. And so you ultimately decide to release independently. What would that look like? look like to get the most bang for your buck in the early days? I mean, I think going out independent on your own is like your first release or your you know first project and everything like that. It's It takes a lot of luck for that to land. And I think, you know, you're kind of increasing your odds if you're working in conjunction with people. So I would, I would upload through something like Stem or TuneCore, um, which is like how I would get the music onto those platforms. Probably you have to set aside a couple hundred dollars for this entire release. You know, luckily with those platforms, you're going to get paid every single month. So, you know, three, four hundred dollars is roughly about like a hundred to two hundred thousand streams. So, yeah, I mean, that's what you got to hit. Kind of go about that that way. I would, you know, if you got to kind of break out the money, probably do like a hundred dollars towards like your artwork and your assets and get somebody to pull some favors for you because it's normally not a hundred dollars. It's usually a bit more, but you want to have assets that would announce the track that will be like a teaser video for it that can work on your Instagram and your Instagram stories and basically cover, cover across all those socials. And then I would start reaching out to blogs. Like I would, you know, you can, it's really easy. Unlike these Spotify playlist editors, it's really easy to find out who's writing for what blogs that you're interested in, reach out to them, hammer them, like, you know, hit them up on email, maybe send them a Facebook message. I would try not to be super annoying about it and just try and find somebody that can like champion your cause on one of these platforms and then just kind of leverage it from there. Deadbeats in particular, we do all of our PR internally, at least on like 90% of our releases, we run it all ourselves. So we've been able to kind of generate really good relationships with different blogs and different writers to ensure that our music is getting out there and that we can, you know, at least send it to somebody. Like I don't, they don't need to post every single thing I send, but as long as you have somebody out there that's either going to say yes or no, that's the best you can ask for. So yeah, I mean, I would, I would reach out, try and get a blog that can, that can get on your back and, and help you out there. Reach out to a couple other artists and see if they want to do reposts on, on SoundCloud to help get your name out that way. You know, I think you can make, being a complete nobody, you can, you can make a, a good impact with very little money um, in getting the release out there as long as you just kind of like start to foster and develop relationships with people that are out there. Twitter is like an amazing resource, especially nowadays for electronic artists. 
in terms of just communicating with one another and talking and making announcements. And you know, if you if you're on Twitter, say you've got a release and you want to do it in June, I'd be on Twitter now, like you know, messaging artists and everything like that, being like, hey, I'm a really big fan. Hey, blah blah blah. Like what you did on this track was really cool. Can't wait to see you in this area. And then maybe a month or two later, it'd be like, hey, I made this track. It was kind of inspired by your tune. What do you think of this? And a lot of these artists. They're just as big music nerds as everybody else. They love hearing music. They love checking it out. Somebody like Rez, for example, she loves, loves, loves working with brand new artists that nobody's ever heard of. Like if you look at her EPs, it's filled with collabs with people that you've never seen before. That really sparks a lot of interest on, on a lot of producers' ends is hearing new music from people they've never heard of before. I love that, dude. That was such a good answer. Have you enjoyed this interview? I have, yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hey, Daw Nation. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Daw with Harrison Bennett, who is the label manager of Zed's Dead. If you're interested in helping support Behind the Daw and getting some extra bonuses, make sure to check out our Patreon. Uh, You can find that at patreon.com slash in the D-A-W-W-W. They also have links in the description for private lessons. If you want private lessons in electronic music production or in social media marketing, there are links down in the description. Again, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, you know, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Deezer, wherever you're at, doesn't matter. Just let us know if we're doing what we need to do to help you move in the direction that you need to. And finally, I would highly encourage you to check out the last episode of Behind the Daw. That one was with Lexi from Echoes. In that episode, we talk about the value in being open and vulnerable in painting a clear picture in songwriting, yet leaving room for individual interpretation and why we need to create a space in music to release our built-up negative emotions. Again, that is episode 47 with Lexi from Echoes. Link in the description. But Daw Nation, let's listen to our final message from our sponsors. Daw Nation, in this episode, you have heard me talk so much about the AU5 Ableton Sound Design course. Again, I would highly encourage you to check it out or at least check out the free course. I know that it can help you. And the reason why is because we have already had almost 500 people sign up for the course within the first week. And I have heard nothing but positive feedback. But Daw Nation, I want to talk to you about a different course that we're going to be launching in June of 2019. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you picked up the Ableton Live 10 manual and read the entire thing? In fact, when was the last time that you've even seen the Ableton Live 10 manual? There are two cold hard facts about the Ableton manual. Number one, it is incredibly insightful on how to use Ableton to its max potential. And number two, it is amazingly boring to read. And it's not even Ableton's fault. That's just the nature of manuals. They're dry, unengaging, and have the personality of a used popsicle stick. Which is why I am extremely proud to announce that our next course is going to be the Daddy Ableton Manual course. Now you know Daddy. He's been on In the Dawn, Behind the Dawn multiple times, bringing the jokes, making you laugh, while still bringing the max amount of information and inspiration. So in this course, he is going to go through every single little thing of the Ableton Live 10 manual and explain it in a hilarious, engaging, and memorable way. We've already pitched the idea to our colleagues in the music industry, and their feedback has been, quote, finally, this is something that I know that I can recommend to people to fully understand everything about Ableton while they can be entertained the entire time and they don't have to break the bank, end quote. Now, Donation, listen very carefully. We just opened up the pre-orders for this course, and if you hop on the pre-order right now, 
you will save $100 on this course. The original price of the course is going to be $250, but if you click the link in the description, then the price is only $150. You can even break it up into three payments of $50 if you really want to. One of the pre-order bonuses is that if you pre-order before June 1st, 2019, Daddy and I will personally FaceTime you to meet you and to say thank you. And the second bonus for pre-ordering the course is that you will be brought to a page where you can tell us what you want to see as bonuses when the full course releases. That's right, you get to decide what the actual bonuses are for the full course. I mean, just imagine it. You get to learn everything there is to know about Ableton Live 10 while being wildly entertained for only $150. That's $30 less than Serum. That's a tenth of the price of Native Instruments Complete Ultimate. That's a third of the price of Omnisphere. That's a tenth of the price of a Moog synthesizer. That's a fifth of the price of the Ableton Push 2, and you get the picture. Again, there is a link in the description for the pre-order where you will get $100 off the original price, or you can go to inthedaw.net slash live10 to sign up. Again, that is inthedaw.net slash live10. The Daw Nation, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Behind the Daw and make sure to check back here next week for our next episode.